0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about our podcast subscriber email. We send it out when we drop new episodes, and it includes all the links from our show notes. In the coming months, we will be announcing events and other fun stuff, so if you're not already on that list and you want to learn about what's coming up, you can subscribe on our website, beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. You click on the subscribe button, fill out the short form, and you'll be good to go. So today's topic is not imposter syndrome, nope. I'm going to talk with Dr. Nicole Polyam, who supports women in their battle against feeling like an imposter, but we're not going to talk about imposter syndrome. There's nothing wrong with people who feel like imposters. It's not a syndrome, it's not a medical condition. Let's start calling it something else feelings of imposterism or the imposter phenomenon, which is the term given to it by Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, the original researchers who wrote about this. So let's fight back against this idea of of it being a syndrome. We're already feeling like imposters. We don't need that additional pressure of thinking we also have a syndrome. I was connected with Nicole through a colleague of mine, Allison Larthy, who saw her speak at the Women's Leadership Summit in New Jersey in the fall of 2023. So listen today to hear our conversation about how to manage feeling like an imposter, the impact of it on our lives, what we can do to support each other, and the impact of intersectionality, feeling like an imposter can happen to anyone. Add in any kind of social categorization, such as race, gender, neurodivergence, and the chance of feeling like an imposter increases. And of course, this would happen. Many of the messages you've received your whole life tell you it's true, even though we know it's not. You'll also hear us talk about a t-shirt with a quote from Arlen Hamilton. She is an investor, the founder of a venture capital fund, and the author of two books, It's About Damn Time and Your First Million. And she said, be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you. Arlen's words have helped me work on my own feelings of imposterism because they reminded me that, yeah, not everyone is going to love what you do or even need what you do. Not everyone is going to accept you into their world, their space. But remember, there are people who really need you and your work. If you keep doing it with effort and diligence and kindness, those who need to find you will. And something that we all can remember is that we are all part of the system that sets people up to feel like imposters. Because we can only truly, truly be ourselves in spaces where we feel safe, it's important to ask ourselves what role can we play to help create more safety and more space for the people around us. There's room for all of us, right? And now I am going to stop rewriting this intro for the millionth time and just trust myself and record it. See? Even after working on this topic, I'm still struggling with feeling like an imposter. What am I doing here? Oh, this is hard work. Okay, on to the show. Hi, Nicole. Thanks Hello. so much for coming on today. So excited. Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that you're wearing your uh, your T-shirt, your Be Yourself, so that the people I looking am. for you can um, find you. Yes. Yes. I love yes. it. Arlen
1: Hamilton, thank you for introducing or reintroducing me to her work it's just the quote really stuck with me so i figured today would be a fitting day to wear the shirt
0: yes and I am I just wish I could be wearing mine as well but mine is uh in the mail coming to me right now so All right. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> I love
0: it yeah so Nicole could you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and um and I would I heard you on a podcast and I just would love for you to tell your story about you know how you got to where you are and sure. um just share that with our listeners. Certainly. So I am Nicole Pulliam. Um, I,
1: where do I even begin? Um, I think the the important parts to my story most certainly are are that um, I identify as a woman and I identify as a woman of color. Um, I am an educator, a researcher, an entrepreneur, a mother of two young, beautiful children, Um, one who is neurodivergent. Um, I am a wife. I am a daughter, a sister, uh, lots of life roles that really impact the work that I've done. Um, over the years in and out of the classroom. So I've worked in higher education now for over 20 years um, in counseling and, and advising roles and administrative roles. Um, and I'm also a tenured professor um, at this moment at the associate professor level, working toward uh, a full professorship, which means that I am still researching and writing. Um, and you know, in addition to that, growing my business. So I am a certified coach and I focus my work on um, women of color predominantly and those who um, identify as first generation trail- trailblazers. Um, I that. am a proud first-generation college graduate myself, um, and then, you know, had no plans to especially go on for a master's degree and most certainly not a doctoral degree, but here I am all of these years later, um, and one of the things that I love to talk about the most is how this whole idea of the imposter syndrome narrative Um, takes root, how we internalize it, specifically as historically more marginalized populations. And I'm on a mission to disrupt that narrative, um, both individually and also hold organizations accountable for them to put into place some policies and practices that would really help those of us who tend to struggle with those feelings. So I am, lots of exciting things. Um, So I, I hope to be able to get into some of them today, but that's just a little bit about
0: me. I love it, <laughs> and uh, my colleague um, Allison Larthy saw you speak at a women's conference a few weeks ago, and that's how yes. uh, she connected me with you. And she just said that that she was so moved by the work that you're doing, and and also just how you present yourself, and uh, and you you were just so engaging to watch. So I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, so thank, thank you, 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 you so much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that idea of imposter syndrome, because we talked about this a little bit when we met before. Um, and, and I was, I was sharing how much I, I dislike that the word syndrome is part of it, which implies that it's like something like medically wrong with people who feel that way. What What are your thoughts about that?
1: Uh, yes to that. Yes to all of that. Um, that is why I've been on such a mission. I would like to say personally and professionally, to challenge that term Um, and if i could share a little bit about really the journey that i've been on now probably um maybe the past four or five years or so um, that i've really started to dig into the research you know as a researcher and naturally inquisitive person i started to dig into the research on that terminology and also You know, working my way through my own feelings of, you know, again, what we term the imposter syndrome, but really it's way deeper than that. So um, about four to five years ago, again, I I had been hearing the term imposter syndrome, not really knowing much about it. Also having these feelings as a woman of color, um working at a, a small, predominantly white, private, predominantly white institution, I knew that there were some feelings that I was experiencing that mirrored feelings that I felt as a college graduate. I mean, a, a college student, again, being first in my family. So much of my work in higher ed before moving into full-time faculty life was with first-generation college students, um, lower, you know, those who ex- have experienced historical poverty, mostly Black and Latinx students who were who were feeling these feelings of, you know, not belonging or questioning their success or feeling as if they were not smart enough. All of these feelings I knew I was also feeling as a, a professor, especially when I first started. So I started digging into the literature and I discovered that that term imposter syndrome actually began back in the um, late 70s, early 80s. And that term really morphed from the imposter phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That's what it was originally termed. And um, two psychologists, Dr. Pauline Clance and um Uh, Her last name is They They did this research together, focused on women in the workplace, primarily white sort of middle class women in the workplace, because they discovered that while those women were really high achieving and quote unquote successful, they were also experiencing these feelings. So as researchers do, they wanted to explore what this phenomenon was that was happening. Um, So I got my hands on all of those original texts, which are actually really hard to find now. I found them used for like 80 (laughs) cents somewhere. And I really, I, I sort of dug into all of the books, and I read them all. And I started to get much more curious about it. At that time, too, I had applied for a grant and I wanted to um, run a research study on um, first generation college students um, who identify as Black and Latinx. And as I'm, I'm trained as a counselor, by the way. My background is in counseling. Um, so I wanted to know what the mental health implications were wow. of students experiencing imposter syndrome or whatever. So um, as part of that study, I wanted to use an already existing um scale or survey that was created by the original psychologist who termed the oh. imposter phenomenon. And in order for me to do that, I had to seek their permission and get their permission to use that because then I had to submit that to my university for IRB approval. Um, so long story short, I had no idea where we were going to find them. I I they're sort of older in age. So I'm yeah. like, I don't, you know. So finally I was able to get a hold of um, Dr. Pauline Clance after a couple of months. And she set up a phone call with me. She asked me about my research and I told her. And she said two things that really stuck out to me, which changed my entire view on this term imposter syndrome. And she said two things. She said, number one, I'm really glad that you you are interested in using my this work to study uh, Black and Latinx students because, and these were her words, she said, because their research was primarily focused on white women. So there was no racial or ethnic factors at play. So she said, thank you for doing that. And she said, and number two, and this is the most important. She said, when you write up your research and when you you submit for publication, do not call it the imposter syndrome, yeah. she said, because we never called it that. Mm. She's like, I don't know, I don't know where that term came from, but that did not come from us. Yeah, but it was pulled from their original research and terminology. And she said, do not call it a syndrome, because if you call it a syndrome, not only does it make it sound like this sort of medical diagnosis but what it does is it places the blame on the individual. Yes, yes, yes. And in that moment, I thought, wow. And that was really the first time that I had heard that approach that way. And coming from the original researchers who actually coined (laughs) the term, I was actually kind of fangirling a little bit in that moment. Um, But that changed my entire view of the way that I approach my research, the way that I approach my coaching work, you know, my speaking, you know, that I do, my training, because it moves it beyond the individual. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been on a mission ever since to move it beyond the individual, to challenge people, to reframe that terminology. Um, And it's it's been challenging. People understand that that makes sense. Why we shouldn't do that, but it's really chart like challenging to undo mm. all of that because mm-hmm. I think we just embrace this individualized issue, yeah. and so much so that I think it has um, it's been to our own detriment. And when I say our, I'm owning that for myself as well um, because we think we, and when I say we, I also mean you know, I'm talking about women, but I'm not talking about any historically marginalized and oppressed groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we take the blame and shame for everything, yeah. um, rather than looking at the environments in which we live and work and try to operate within. Um, so I'm on a mission to disrupt that whole language, to still validate the feelings, but disrupt that language a bit more.
0: So if, if someone came to you and said, you know, I'm really struggling, say they said the words, I'm struggling with imposter syndrome, how would you, like, where would you start with them? Where would you start with that supporting them? And then how would you help them disrupt it?
1: Yeah. So usually when people say, and I have had clients or students that I teach or mentors say that exact Yeah a sentence to me. Yeah. And I think what's really important is to be able to take a step back and pick help people pick that apart. Mm. Because when they're when they say I'm feeling like I'm struggling with imposter syndrome, most of the time what they're talking about are the feelings that go with that. You, again, usually it's I feel like I don't belong here, whatever belonging means, right? Whether that's in school, whether that's at a workplace, whether that's, you name it. It's usually when said person is operating within an environment that is not set up for them to succeed and, and, or that does not, that, you know, that does not include people that look like them or have the same identities. It's usually a variation of that, right? So I don't belong. I'm not as smart, right? Even if, you know, and again, myself, I have colleagues, I have clients that are doctoral degree holders, you know, you would think on paper, they, you know, you see all of their success, but they're still feeling as if they're not worthy of the acknowledgments, that they're not smart enough, that they in fact feel like a fraud, right. And a phony that they're trying to sort of trick people into believing that they actually are, you know, smart enough that they belong. Right. So the first thing that I usually say is, well, let's, let's pick that apart a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about like how you're feeling when you say you're struggling with this, you know, again, the counselor in me always goes to like, what are the emotions behind that? Right. And it's usually, again, a variety of things that I just listed. We feel like we're in isolation. You know, the mental health implications that I've learned from my own research and from the research that exists, the mental health implications that go along with feeling like you're not worthy or deserving or are, you know, feelings of anxiety, Mm -hmm. feelings of depression, you know, you name it. So not, I'm not, I'm saying feelings of, because not necessarily diagnosed anxiety right. or depression. It might be, but we feel those things, right? We feel like we're wearing a mask, if you will, because mm-hmm. we we don't know how to operate within spaces and truly be ourselves because we don't know if that's welcome. Yeah. Yeah right? So I, I think first and foremost, I help them pick that apart. I put the term to the side yes.
0: temporarily
1: and really focus on the emotions. That's number one. The second thing that I focus on is, especially in my coaching work, getting a clear sense of like, what are the, what, what's the context? Again, mm-hmm. what are the environmental factors? What What's at play, right? So again, if I shared my story, and I said, well, yeah, I felt like I was struggling with, you know, uh, feeling feelings of imposter syndrome when I was a brand new uh, woman of color faculty member at my private predominantly white institution. Well, why was I feeling that way? Well, number one, it brought me back to the feelings that I had at 18, because I also knew, being a first-gen college student, that I actually was not academically prepared for college. I just wasn't, right? So there was a lot of catch-up that I had to do to actually be, you know, quote-unquote college material, additional tutoring, additional writing, which does not end, you know, in fact, that it gets more difficult as you move through graduate work. So fast forward to me being a brand new faculty member, it brought me back to the heck do I think I am so now <laughs> I wasn't even prepared for college no one in my family ever even went to college some didn't even graduate from high school like my parents and my older sister now here I am a full-time at that point ten-year track professor like yeah. what yeah, yeah um like who who do you who do I think I am um so, you know, what role does their race and their gender and all of their identities play into where they're operating, where they're living, right? Like let's let's talk about that because I want I want people to understand that those feelings are valid, but there's a reason why they are feeling the ways they're feeling. Um because I know for me, if I'm, you know, wherever this dream institution is, if I worked in a, in a higher ed institution where the majority of my colleagues looked like me or came from similar working class backgrounds, I don't think I would have felt like mm. an imposter. Mm. I would have felt at home. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so it is most of the times when we are trying to operate within systems, because education is a system, corporate setting, you know, we're operating mm-hmm. in systems that we are not in the quote unquote, you know, um, uh, majority or quote don't quote unquote fit the norm mm-hmm. in terms of what that might look like, then we're gonna feel that. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't mean we're an imposter. That means that we're operating in spaces that weren't designed to support us, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I focus on what are the emotions behind? What are the feelings? And then let me get a sense of when and where you're mm. feeling this the most, yeah. and, and then we could do some work with that. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I, so I just got back from attending the ADHD conference in Baltimore, and uh, the 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 feeling and the message that I received from so many people that we talked with was how how wonderful it was to be in a space where having ADHD was. Just completely okay, and and um, and so there was no, uh, you know, it. We were we were temporarily in this system that had what was created for people with yes. ADHD, right? And yet, I myself, a person with ADHD, found myself feeling a bit like I was trying to fool someone because I have I was just diagnosed in January and I am relatively successful despite my ADHD um and so I found myself thinking I don't like I don't, I don't know what it was, but I found myself feeling like an imposter. And Mm -hmm. I, and I, and so then it made me think, okay, here I am in this system that actually is created for me. And I'm still feeling that way. So diagnose me. Why did I feel that way? (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) So unofficial diagnosis. So that, that could be for a variety of reasons. I thought that's really interesting because what that makes me think about, And, you know, I I think this is aligned with what you were feeling. So I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But um, there's this whole idea of, um, I heard someone, you know, say this, and so I I did not make it up, but it's like um, the oppression Olympics, right? Like we compare ourselves, like we see this a lot with, again, in my world, like as a person of color, right? Like, you know, people will say like, oh, well, you know, Latinos have it hard and oh, Black people have it hard and Asian, you know, but I, we have it harder. And so we're almost like sort of competing for like who's struggling the most right. and who deserves the most attention. Right. But what we also struggle with, and maybe this is what happened with you, is that There's such variation, even within identities and within, you know, so, you know, everyone with ADHD doesn't necessarily present the same way or have some of the same strengths or challenges or, right? So I I think it's this constant uh, self-evaluation that we tend to do where we compare ourselves to others to see where we fit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, I mean, again, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, I think it is. from a clinical perspective, <laughs> right, there's a right. whole lot to say yeah, about yeah. Like, the self-comparison piece mm-hmm. of it. But, you know, I think it is about when we do the work and we relate to it, we want people to know that, you know, we're the real deal. And, and we really, you know, um, you know, I, I I think some something that comes up for me, and maybe the same feeling is so I identify as a woman of color, but I'm I'm actually biracial, mm. um, and that's part of my story. Although I pri- primarily identify as a, a woman of color, so uh, my father is from Puerto Rico and my mother is white. My mother is Italian, um, so you know sometimes depending on in the, the space that I'm in, you know I, I've reconciled with this as I've gotten older, um, but sometimes I would feel like well am I, am I a woman of color enough? Like, can I say that? Because, you know, if they, people see pictures of my mother with blue eyes and blonde, it's not really blonde, but blonde hair, she dyed it, you know, then they're going to say, oh, I thought Nicole said she yeah. was a woman of color. So it's this whole, like, where do I fit into yeah. this? Space? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the, the constant self-evaluation in terms Mm of where we fit into our worlds right so maybe not maybe imposter in the sense of like you know like I really do have ADHD right like and let me prove it (laughs) right how do you do that yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) there's so much variation yeah
0: um, yeah yeah now that I think about it something that you said made me think like maybe I felt like I wanted to make sure I wasn't taking up space that someone who, like, it, like is, like, more ADHD, to put it in, you know, quotes, than I am, you know, like, I'm, I was, maybe I was just being over, not overly sensitive, but just careful not to feel like I'm stepping into this space that maybe someone else, I don't want to say belongs more than me, but, you know, maybe has been there longer than me, or just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It was yeah. just an interesting experience, and I and I thought of it because of I knew I was going to be having this conversation with you, and yeah. I thought, oh, wasn't that so interesting? That yeah. even within a system that was exactly designed for it, I still yeah. felt like, oh, am I enough? Am I yes. enough? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it it makes me think about this. Thing I was just right? going to say yourself. that. Yes. Because so, what about all of the other people who might feel and have similar stories to you that might have gone you know, or might have been recently diagnosed or maybe, right, like they need to hear your story yeah. too, because mm-hmm. not everyone that's diagnosed with ADD is diagnosed as a child, yeah. right? We yeah. First of all, we see a lot of adults right now. I met that a lot of have, them. Oh yeah. That have gone undiagnosed mm-hmm. because you know, we didn't necessarily look for that. We didn't give a name to it way back then. So there's a whole lot of adults walking around undiagnosed right now, but your story matters just as well as other people's. Um, You know, my daughter was recently diagnosed uh, uh, almost a year ago and, um, you know, it shows up for her differently than it might show up for some of her peers. Uh, most certainly some of her male peers. In fact, she, I believe she went undiagnosed so long, although we noticed it because it showed up for her differently as, as a little girl. Yeah. Um. So, you know, there's, there's variation there too, right? So, and I'm, so and I'm learning a lot about like how to parent a neurodivergent child who, is really successful in some ways and who really needs a lot of help in others. Like, what does that mean? Um, And finding other parents of children who have been diagnosed um, so that I can learn, you know, how to best parent. But there's so much variation there. And again, this is not my area of expertise, but I'm learning about it. And I'm loving now the uh, new connection that I have, thanks to you, about looking at the imposter syndrome in relation um, to neurodivergent populations because that, that has never been a focus area of mine. So it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, that, what you were just saying, the, um, validation, um, piece in, in, it makes me think about how important it is to connect with other people who have shared experiences and that you're, you're, Then you'll be able to see, like I suppose, here I am interrupting myself, but like if I could take a step back and look at my experience at the ADHD conference and recognize that yes, there are variations, but in some ways it is a shared experience. In a lot of ways, it's a shared experience, which can help me see that even as a person with ADHD, who is feeling a bit of imposter, I can still be myself. I can yes. still do the things that I need to do because there are people looking for me. And so the people yes. that you work with, the women that you work with, despite their, in spite of their, that feeling of, of imposter, they need to do their work because yes. they need to be themselves because there are people looking for them.
1: Yes.
0: And so you have to like fight that and, and move past that. And so connecting with other people that have have had that shared experience and maybe come yes. from the same background, so important.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how do we show up in the spaces that were not designed to support us authentically anyway, while also still, I, I think, you know, also still assessing our level of psychological safety, right? Like I feel like yeah. in order for for people to show up of themselves, there has to be some sense of psychological safety, right? Is it safe for me to be myself? Or yeah, when yeah. when I, you know, I know for me and I have colleagues, we we talk all the time and it's like, um, there are, it's okay to have variations of authentic Nicole, right? So my authentic Nicole at work still looks a little bit differently than my authentic yes. self When I'm hanging with my girls or when I'm hanging at home, right? So all of those things, like what is, what does that look like for you? But Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, we, we have to be in environments where we believe that it's safe for us to show Mm -hmm. up authentically. And that's where the responsibility lies on those who are in positions, quote unquote, of power to be able to to set up those environments so that people living and working and operating within those spaces actually feel as if it is safe for them to show up as themselves, to ask questions, to challenge the status quo. And unfortunately, it's so often that we... It's, hard, they're, it's really difficult to find those spaces. They exist, but it, it is often difficult. So, you know, I, I work with a lot of clients who are in uh, leadership positions that they could support. You know, they're having their own struggles, but they're also in positions to support others, right? So it's like, as a leader, how do we create intentionally create those environments where people could really show up as themselves. Um, because again, otherwise it's just, it's the onus falls back on us, right? Like yeah. what do I need to do to change the way I feel? What do I need to do to change the way that I move within spaces? And it's not just an individualized piece of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think the recent stat, um, And there's a study. I'm going to mess up her name. Um, So there's an incredible um, it's on YouTube. It's a recent graduation commencement speech by author and um, CEO of Girls Who Code. Code. Thank you. Why am I forgetting her name? I forget her name Uh, every
0: time, too. We will we will put a correction in so that everyone Um, can hear it. (laughs) Hey, I just wanted to pop in and say that Reshma Sojani is the woman who founded Girls Who Code and gave the commencement speech at Smith College last year. Uh, Nicole and I were not successful in remembering her name. Sorry, Reshma. Yeah, so I
1: actually, um, when I presented recently at the leadership conference where your uh, colleague met me, I I showed that s- snippet of how she talked about it. And she also shares some statistics and she said, you know, when as much as 82% of women say that they struggle with imposter syndrome, it is clear that it is not an individualized problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: There's no, and that's just talking about women, not factoring in all of the other identities that are at play. So we know that it's not an individualized problem. We know that it's way deeper than that, but it's easy, I think, for us to live and to live in our heads and feel isolated and think that we're the only ones that are feeling these feelings of imposter you know or feelings of imposterism that's also yeah. how the original researchers wrote nice, it up nice. um yeah. but yeah it's not it's not just us there are tons of other people who are feeling this the question is why
0: why yeah and i was just thinking like if and then on top of it if you are from um, a, a marginalized community, and mm-hmm. you have ADHD or whatever, or just you're super stressed just from being human. Yeah. Then yeah. and then just thinking about how there's so many things to consider. No wonder people feel stressed that's out right. and struggle and feel like an imposter. Yes, yeah. The, well, that's exactly it, right? It it, it is about.
1: like what, what really is at play, right? When people come, you know, whether it's, you know, again, whether it's like from a therapeutic perspective or coaching perspective. And when people say things like, you know, I don't know why I'm so stressed. Right. And and then they, they start to sort of explain like what's happening. And then I also have a sense of like, you Know how they identify, and that's you know, then I'm like, well, yeah, like that, that makes a lot of sense, right? So, this whole idea of you know, um, uh, people's experiences at the intersection of all of those identities, yeah, right? Yeah. That's really what's at the heart of their mm-hmm. experience because you cannot separate you know, if someone has a diagnosed, you know, you name it, couples with their gender and their race and that like that, that is, I keep going like this to sort of show the intersect with my hands, but that's, that's what's at play, right? So not only might someone question whether they belong somewhere or feel like a phony or a fraud or an imposter because of, again, in my world and my focus based on race and ethnicity, because they are one of the few or the only, but now if they're also, you know, if they have ASD or ADHD or ADD, right now there's some cognitive, you know, or other things going on that, well, yeah, like there are some additional um, things that one might need in order to truly succeed. Right. And unless, that system has already figured out how to truly be, be inclusive of it all, you're going to question whether that environment is for you, because yeah. the way that you learn, the way that you approach things, the way it's different from quote unquote, the norm, the way most systems and, and organizations are set up for people to thrive. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that, that makes That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it is no wonder that people are stressed and that people are feeling anxious or depressed or, you know, questioning whether they belong when I don't think, I think we fail to recognize like what really is at play. And it's not a bad thing. What it means is, again, the way that you approach things, the way that you learn, the way that you interpret, it's just different. It is different. So how do you, you know, put yourself in a scenario where number one, you feel safe enough to share, like, what is it that you need? Like helping people understand what that looks like. I think most people don't know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. That's yeah. usually where I start. Yeah. It's just easier for me to assume, mm-hmm. assume that people don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now then once they know, then that's a different story. Right. Um, but I think it is validating those feelings to say, well, yeah, this is What's yeah. at play, right? Yeah. Again, going back to my daughter who's in third grade, who now has an IEP. She also has a learning disability, um, primarily based on the way, you know, cognitive processing and functioning, and then also has an ADD diagnosis. I We also believe that, sh- we believe that there's some high functioning, but some ASD going on too. We're still, you know, looking into that. It's, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. What we're saying is, okay, if a child is diagnosed with X, Y, and Z, then at least we live in New Jersey, right? In the state of New Jersey, then legally the school has to provide the resources and the tools that that student needs to succeed, right? Yeah, so yeah. IEP 504, it's the same thing. It's about what what does a person need mm-hmm. in order to thrive in that environment? Mm-hmm. So we do that with, I mean, some districts are better than others, right? But we do that with our children, right? But I think as adults, especially when we go into workspaces,
0: yeah,
1: what does that look like? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now we just believe that we should just be able to operate like everyone else operates, yeah. right. right? Like we throw right. all the other stuff out the window
0: <laughs> yeah. and that's just, yeah, that's not the case. And it's not bad.
1: It's just, it's different
0: um, it, what you're, what we were just talking about, reminds me so much of a, a tool that I really like to use with my clients when they're really struggling in the moment, is uh, like just zooming out and 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 going up way high and looking at that context within which you are, you know, experiencing these feelings and how validating it is to to look at everything and and like we were saying before, yeah, well, no wonder, no wonder you're really stressed out. You have a lot going on and you have all these these other things and you know whatever is going on for that person and how validating the conversations that you are having with the people that you work with and that you do that with them you look at the context in which they're living and how validating that is and for our kids you know like we start we, like you're doing that for your daughter but yeah why do we we need to we need to continue doing that for us as adults so you are with your um with your with the people that you work with so i i really hope that that, that our listeners can, if they don't have someone in their life already, that that can help them step back and and yeah. validate, yeah, these are the feelings that you're feeling and there's a reason. Yes. Um, find somebody in your life that can help you do that because it's yeah. it's really important to be able to begin to disrupt it. Is you need to know where you are and where yes. you stand.
1: Yeah. We're just, yeah. and again, I keep saying we, cause I'm owning that as well. Right. Yeah, I'm also yeah. a work in progress, but we are our worst critics. Yeah, right. Yeah. We feel like, what's wrong with me? I should mm. just be able to do this or mm. I should like, why am I feeling this way? Why am mm. I struggling? Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about, you know, like stepping out of it and really taking this sort of elevated approach like pull yourself out of it right almost as if it were you know you were watching yourself yeah. you know you're the main character in a movie yeah. and if you could sort of be the observer of your life
0: yeah l- let's
1: let's look at that like what's mm-hmm. what's really at play there's something about for me you know when I'm able to do that I, when I, I need to be, first of all, I need to be outdoors somewhere mm. and outdoors and in an environment where I feel really small, mm. maybe I'm, you know, I, I'm not a big hiker. So if I say hike, please don't think that I'm like a hiker, but like, <laughs> you know, like walking through a trail, right. Yeah, where there's yeah. nothing but really large trees yeah. that does something to the way that I I'm thinking about my life Mm. and where I fit into that Mm -hmm. because we know that our story is like this small part of this larger context right so it is about like pulling pulling ourselves out of the equation oftentimes we could do that for other people but we cannot do that for ourselves yeah Yeah. we 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 expect like 100 always from ourselves while we tend to give others grace yeah. Um. And and we fail to give ourselves the grace. Um. And again, the good part about it is, yeah, the, that tends to be people who are just really ambitious, high achieving. Um. You know, my friends and I joke all the time. We've been saying this since we've been friends over fifteen years, and we say like, why do we have to be so ambitious? Like, why can't we just, <laughs> yeah yeah be content with the bare minimum um so we joke and we know that that will never happen but sometimes we do feel that way right we're like all of this would just go away we would not feel like imposters if we just yeah
0: stop trying to do things (laughs) just be please don't stop we need you Uh, the world needs you thank you thank you but yes i totally get that yeah Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I really felt. I felt just even like even before. I I feel this every time. Every single time I record an interview for the podcast, I think, mean, what am I doing? Like, how how did I end up here? <laughs> who who am I to be able to do this? But I don't know. Apparently, people listen. So yes, yeah. somebody, yeah, somebody is glad I'm being myself. <laughs> that's
1: right. We all yeah. need people's yeah. stories. I yeah. mean, again, that's the the counselor and like this, the qualitative researcher in me, right. There is power in people's stories. And sometimes you can just hear, even if it's like 30 seconds of something that someone said that mm-hmm. really hits you. Yeah. um, That's what it's about. Right. Like for me, it's all about like, what's my purpose? You know, mm-hmm. I'm going through this whole, like I'm in my mid forties now. So I've hit I told my friend the other day, I said, I think I'm going through, I don't call it a midlife crisis. I think I called it a midlife evolution Mm. Um, (laughs) because I'm really like something about being in my mid forties. I'm like, what's my purpose? How do I want to live the rest of my life? Whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And part of that for me is like sharing stories, helping other people share stories, you know, sharing by way of verbal communication. Like there's just there's power in that so um, yeah.
0: Yeah, well you I mean keep
1: doing what you're doing
0: <laughs> thank you well thanks to Arlen Hamilton's t-shirt that yeah. says be yourself so that the people looking for you can find you I mean I talking about how you know just hearing 30 seconds of what someone says like that clip that what she said and is on her was on her t-shirt that I saw on Keisha Harris's um, LinkedIn page I just You you just truly never know the impact of of what you're going to say can really help someone with their own feelings of imposterism. So keep saying the things that need to be said and keep supporting people and, you know, keep... um, Keep uh, I don't know, just keep being ourselves, right? Yes, that's
1: all we can do. Yeah, that's all we
0: can do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Uh, Well, thank you so much, Nicole. I've just really enjoyed this conversation and um and I I wish you the best with everything. Could you share uh with our listeners where people can find you and your work? Certainly. Yeah,
1: certainly. Um, so I am very active on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh Nicole Pulliam or Nicole Pulliam PhD. There's a couple of Nicole Pulliams, one of which is an actress I found out recently. Um, (laughs) that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my, um, my webpage is, um, real and worthy LLC. That's the name of my company. Um, you can also find me on that on Instagram. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn though, Um, but LinkedIn and then my webpage is where you can find me the best.
0: Great, well, thank you so much. I'm so glad I found you. (laughs) And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you found something useful and hopefully you found some inspiration to keep doing what you're doing, even when you're in a space where you feel like an imposter. Like I said before, the messages many of us have been receiving all of our lives are that we're not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, fill in the blank enough to be successful in the spaces we want to be in. So it makes sense that we feel like imposters. Let's all try to be a part of the solution to this. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, you can reach out to me at podcast at beyondbooksmart.com. Please subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can sign up for that subscriber newsletter I mentioned at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. Our patient and kind editor and producer is Sean Potts, our absolutely brilliant content marketer is Justice Abbott. Very, very special thanks to Allison Larthy for connecting me with Dr. Nicole Polliam and to Arlen Hamilton, whose words mean more to me than she will ever know.